Your host, Katie Thomas, is the Director of Portfolio Services at New Day Solutions, a firm offering expertise in retirement planning with more than 25 years of experience, dedicated to high net worth individuals, families, and business owners. We work with you to have a coordinated approach for your comprehensive investment goals, providing concierge service for all generations from a team who can see things from your side of the table. Go to NewDaySolutions.com for more information. Working with your investments, retirement, insurance, estate or tax planning, or just dealing with everyday expenses, your money matters. Let KT Thomas help you make the most of it. This is KT's Money Matters. Hey, and welcome back. This is KT Thomas at KT's Money Matters. Helping you think about like drive time financial solutions, things that help you move the puck forward for yourself and for the people that you love. How you think about different things happening in your life financially and how you might address those things. You know, the Money Matters community has had a lot of interesting speakers and topics lately about developing professionally and how to think about moving to the next level, if you will, both professionally and financially. So along that vein, I've asked Joan Cool to work with us today. Joan is the founder of Why Millennials Matter, a research and training agency in New York City, and the author of three books. In fact, busy woman, and you know how I love these hardworking women, her fourth book is scheduled to come out in spring of next year called Dig Your Heels In. So let me tell you a little bit about Dig Your Heels In. It's a playbook to help women navigate corporate you know, BS and focus on the long game to get their career they desire and build the company they deserve. The actionable advice will arm women and companies that want to retain them with the information and transform the workplace that pays their paycheck today to be equitable, innovative, and inclusive. Dig Your Heels In tackles the critical need to engage, advance, and retain women in the workplace. So, you know, being a hardworking woman and the most recent author of The Hardworking Woman's Guide to Money, I love the idea that somebody's writing a book to help women engage professionally. So the thing I know as a hardworking woman is that, you know, there's a lot of complex decisions that you make along your career path. And frankly, this is also true for our millennials, people that are trying to figure out where they are in their career and how they advance and, you know, whether or not they should be, I always say you want to be on the right ladder. That's kind of my favorite saying about career development is, you know, it doesn't matter how great you're doing in the company you're in if you're on the wrong ladder and you're not going to actually go where you want to go. So I love the idea that Joan's going to spend some time with us and talk about these various things about like what gets in the way and how people get ahead. So Joan, thanks so much for coming to the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I love the message that you're conveying as well. So, you know, let's jump right into it, Joan. One of the things that I would like to know is what do you think about the, what are the day-to-day things, the barriers, if you will, that are holding women back? Well, I think an important point to make is that there's a lot of content out there, a lot of research, a lot of advice books that are talking to women directly about what they can do and talking about and kind of almost putting the onus on them to you know, go after everything they deserve, everything they desire. But there's another side that's really important, which is about how we need to change the systems and evolve the companies that we work at today that are influencing leadership behaviors, that are influencing the processes and the systems that impact women. So I think 
the most important thing to understand is there's certainly some things that we can do individually as professional women that are to you know avoid the barriers and the danger zones of self-limiting behaviors or traps that we can be aware of so that we can work against them. But we also need to understand what is in place and the systems, again, that are were historically built not for our advantage. So with that said, I mean, let's just take a minute and, and think about it from the other side. What could, you know, as a woman, do you think younger women versus, you know, maybe more veteran women in the workforce are better at, you know, navigating for what they actually want, that, for the change that they want to see in the organization? Well, what I do know from our research and many studies from, you know, PricewaterhouseCoopers to Cosmopolitan Magazine is that millennial women are more career ambitious than generations before them. They've got the lean in, be bossy, sorry, not sorry, mantras following them everywhere they go. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're any wiser or any savvier about the things that they are up against. And I think that there's a huge opportunity to mobilize women of all generations really around those systemic things that they can work to change together. So I think, you know, the answer to your question is, they're certainly ambitious. There's more women in the workforce today than ever before. Over the next decade, a billion more women will enter. So this is the moment to really the rallying cry. And that's what Dig Your Heels In is all about, is how can we all mobilize together to make this the workplace we deserve? So let me ask you a question. You know, I think in the last five or 10 years, the number of kind of women's conferences and workshops driven with the idea of aspiring and training and, and motivating people to make change. There's a lot of that. How do you feel about that? Do you think that's like an important thing that women should think about making sure that they're tapping into those kinds of ideas or, you know, what, in general, what do you think? So I'll tell you what I personally think, and then I'll tell you what the data says. So what I personally think is I love them. I'm somebody that grew up loving to, you know, loving attending any opportunity, whether it was a panel of alumni from my university or a local event at my bookstore, just hearing professional women talk about their journey and how they got to where they are today. And I love networking, connecting with other women. So I love them. I attend them all the time. Those that are targeted at millennials like Girl Boss and Create and Cultivate to those that are for executives, Fortune Most Powerful and Forbes type conferences. So I feel the energy, right? I'm inspired. I, I love the information and I use a lot of it. But in writing Dig Your Heels In, I wanted to find some real data to say, is this actually helping arm us with what we need? And the good news is that there was a study that was led by Shauna Kaur. You've probably read his books, The Happiness Advantage. It was a New York Times bestseller. He was a professor at Harvard. He had done a study that was looking at working women across functions, across industries, and kind of evaluating these measures of attending conferences that are targeted at women in the United States specifically. And so I'll just cut to the chase. What I was thrilled to hear is on the financial reward side, like when you're talking about pay raises and promotions, that the likelihood of women attending those conferences with like peers doubled. And that in one year, attendees that attended women's conferences tripled the likelihood of at least a 10% pay increase. And then the intellectual side, which is kind of what I was speaking to, where you feel this renewed sense of energy and it, it makes things feel more manageable and it lowers your stress level and you've got this connection, you build new relationships personally and professionally. His study found that 78% of women reported feeling more optimistic about their future after attending. And he's somebody that is an expert on how having a positive mindset can really influence all aspects of your life, personally and professionally. So 
I hope that that feels good for you too, that, you know, bringing us all together and talking about things that, that matter to us, that all arm us professionally and personally has positive results. Yeah, I actually very much feel that way. I mean, I just recently was at the Barron's Top Independent Women's Conference in Florida, and it's like so fantastic to be around people that are, you know, like yourself and pushing forward and the sharing of ideas. And what I always think is that, you know, I have a lot of opportunities to these kind of things, but the people that work for me don't always have those same kind of opportunities. And some of these conferences that are coming up can be more available for, like you said, millennials, people just starting to climb. You know, it doesn't yes. have to be some big four-day retreat in this really expensive place where you need to get the time and you need to, there are a lot of things going on today that people can tap into that can get that same kind of energy from without, you know, sometimes they don't always have the money to go to some of the, some of the best yeah. things that are like your show, right? Podcast. And that's what I've also heard a lot from millennial women attending conferences that if there's a speaker that they like or a topic that comes up, like let's say imposter syndrome that was new to them, you know, you can quickly do a Google search and find, you know, something that you can listen to on your commute to work and hear that speaker go a little bit deeper into their journey, their story, their their data. And that's more accessible and more, you know, affordable to your point. Yeah, they're free. I mean, you know, drive yeah. time, drive time <laughs> education. I personally am addicted to drive time education, like podcasts in the car. I live in New York City, so I'm like, it's my walking with a stroller. Yeah, yeah <laughs> uh, Exactly. Yeah. Commuting on the subway, it's awesome. And I'm always like, are you listening to podcasts? You need to listen to this. <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. exactly. And I think everybody like really does appreciate the the personal referral and, and recommendation of like, hey, you know, do you ever think about this? Oh, you totally should listen to this interview. And I think that's how people want to talk about their careers today, you know, along with how you talk about topics from you know, cooking to eating healthy. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk a little bit about corporate women's networks. You know, I've been involved in a couple of them over the years, and some of them have been really, you know, really good. And some of them have feel really kind of like the corporation's just trying to check the box. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about those? Absolutely. So I think that that's one of the biggest, boldest moves that a company can make, which is to really invest in and empower their women's network. So I've worked with a number of different women's networks as well, and also employee resource groups that are directed at millennials or intergenerational dynamics. And so, you know, on one hand, the, the purpose of why networks and employee resource groups and affinity groups, why they came about was to have this platform for people with a common you know, way to relate each other, whether it's by gender, sexual orientation, or race or ethnicity, to really feel like they could let their guard down, right? You know, drop the armor and talk about some of the issues from the way that they were experiencing their day-to-day -day professional life and, you know, express pride about that. Then they evolved. The next stage was really about helping others become more aware and break down their biases. And, and so, you know, you saw companies doing more professional development or hosting more events, whether they were, again, cultural or gender-based or what have you. And really, the, the, the move from being employee resource groups to business resource groups is where we saw a lot of the transformation where businesses and companies said, oh, uh, hi, we could better understand our our clients, our customers, if we really empowered our networks to 
use that lens, bring that diverse perspective into the way that we run our business. Um, and, and that could be on the front lines from a recruiting standpoint, but it also could be like looking at how the journey of building different products. So one of the women's networks that I'm most proud of is at Eli Lilly. They led by Lori Kowaleski, who is the chair of the women's network, uh, just uh, transitioned out over the past year. She had uh, done a lot of research to see what women were experiencing across the company, really their journey. And one of the, the on the solution side after the research was presented was this opportunity to transform the women's network to be a movement. So that's kind of a cool concept that I would just tee up for our conversation is that, you know, thinking about having it not just be a space where you can connect and empathize with one another, but then now be an organization that creates allies, puts education out there and training and impacts different aspects of the business from accounting to drug discovery and thinking about are there women represented? Are there women having a seat at the table? What can we do? And, and really creating these toolkits to help women all throughout a, a company that size. It's over 40,000 people globally. Right. And it's pretty easy to be lost in a company with 40,000 people. Hard to find the right themes. Yeah, and I think that maybe that's also what you're talking about too. And I've seen them struggle with this as as other organizations, which is how do you how do you be as inclusive as possible? And you think about um, you know, I think about talking to millennial women. And they're like, I don't identify as just a millennial. I don't identify just as a woman. I could be a mother. I could also be gay. I could also be Muslim. I could also have disability. You know, disabilities. There's so many different things that are unique to me that make me me. I want to know that I can find myself across the board, and I don't have to just put a stake in the ground in one place. And so that's something that networks really need to be conscientious of, of not competing against each other, right. but really having this collaborative um, approach. So let's move on a little bit. Let's say you're working for a company and, you know, I, I, I kind of hear this. I've been an employer for a long time. I've got a, you know, whatever, I have a small business. I employ, a, you know, a handful of people. And, you know, I sort of like to believe that I'm keeping my people forever. I kind of try to operate my business with the idea of, you know, creating the right environment, find the right candidates, give them the right opportunities, create the right environment, compensate them well, and not look for new employees. That's kind of my model. And I know that that's not everybody's model, but that happens to be mine because I know that vacancy and the employment is, first of all, it's really expensive to the employer and it's really disruptive to the firm that the consistency of good people who know how to do their job is really, really valuable to especially a small business. Agree. (laughs) But I know as a woman in business that sometimes it's like better to leave a company and go to another company because sometimes you can't get that next bump unless you move along, right? And some, some, so from, from the employee side, I mean, unless they're lucky enough to like land with a girl like me and get in and it all seems good and they stay for a long time, sometimes it's better to move on. What kind of advice do you give women about, you know, staying at the job or moving on to another company and what kinds of reasons why should people think about moving on rather than staying? See, and this is what, um, this was the the conversation that was keeping me up all night for the last several years that in starting to work with organizations, focusing on their young talent, but also focusing on women and helping women thrive at the prime stages of their career is really important to the next generation and next the, the future workforce. And that question that you're talking about of, we know 
that for the most part, you can find another job that will be more money, that will be increased responsibility and, and a better title elsewhere. But nobody talks enough about what you lose by making that move. And so this is what inspired me to write Dig Your Heels in after having hundreds of these conversations and conducting research with multiple clients to try to figure out, okay, first, how do you make that decision of, is it, you know, enough, enough? Have I tried everything? Have I exhausted all aspects of like, I talked about it when we first started our conversation, which is, have I done everything to really build myself up and do the things that I need to know, increase my awareness about the barriers that, that are out there against me? But do I, have I also tried everything I can um, to get my company to evolve? So that's kind of the first test is figuring out is, you know, uh, are you going to dig your heels in or are these boots made for walking? And then I think that once that you do make that decision to stay, Again, it's, I keep saying the same point over and over again, is you've got to have a tribe. You've got to have a team of people, both women and men, that you can drive as allies that also are going to work towards that common purpose and also have influence in different aspects of the company. And so you lead me to my next thought, which is, you know, <laughs> men have got to have a role in this, right? It's not just women yeah. saying, hey, pay attention to us. We need to be organized. We need to be thought about. I mean, really, men in the workplace, let's face it, I'm sorry, you know, all but 30 companies in the S&P 500 are run by men. So let's face it, we need men in the game to help us change this focus. And how do you think they should play a role? Men have to be huge allies and, and plenty are. And some of the work that we've done specifically with Lily has, um, what has risen up is, is men that are saying, whether they are managers or leaders or senior executives or also new hires, are saying, what can I do? Um, you know, how can I play a bigger role? Because that, that, that you can't, we can't just keep talking to ourselves in a room of a bunch of women. Um, I have to tell you a quick story that just meant so much to me today. I woke up to an email that was from um, one of my clients that was a newsletter from their women's network. And it was kind of recapping some of their initiatives. And they happened to interview a white male who is a senior leader at the company, but worked for me early in his career back when I was in corporate. And this is, let me read you um, a quote from him because I think this captures why we need men so much. He basically said that, you know, becoming engaged in a men as allies initiative was something that really awakened a whole aspect of, of work that impacted him in a huge way. And he said, I'm not naive to the injustices that occur outside of the walls of my company, but I definitely was naive that this happens within these walls. Even realizing something as simple as the fact that I never have to deal with walking into a room and feeling like I'm the only one there who looks like me, that was a powerful waking awakening. So becoming involved first and foremost was a bit selfish. I just wanted to learn more, but it grew into wanting to ensure that I am always aware and I'm always empathetic to the experiences of my peers, and my coworkers, and I've become more engaged um, as, as I've become more engaged, I've learned that for true change to take place, everyone needs to be on board, including the white guys. I, I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. I was so proud That is of fantastic. That, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. So we need to lift up more men like that. And he's a millennial male as well with a, you know, super uh, successful career and a lot of promise in his future. And I think that that sets an example for other men that if he's a father, you want men to also say, hi, we would like to be home in time for dinner. We would like flexibility. We want patern paternal leave. This isn't just about, you know, uh, you know, even the parental benefits, but it's just about everybody coming together for the benefits of equality. And then the reality is there have been million studies about how that pours over into 
you know, what's happening in the company and how well the company is doing. When you see people like, you look at companies like Salesforce and you see how thoroughly engaged they are and then how well they've done, you know, as a publicly traded company over time. I mean, yes. a large part of it is that this stuff pays dividends for corporations that decide they're going to spend the time and figure it out. 100%. Every company that has more diversity, racially, gender-wise, age-wise, performs more for them for, you know, in profit, increased profit for their shareholders. So, I mean, there's time, you know, time and time again, it's continually proven. It's just a lot easier than it sounds to get there. And so I think that that's why you need really bold leaders um, that are at the very top, but also this movement at the at the groundswell level that you know starts with even just the new hires and first time managers, kind of understanding those things like how you decide who gets a promotion, how you decide who gets responsibility, who's taking notes in the middle of the meeting and who's the one in the office that's always doing the office housework, like planning the birthday parties and uh, you know, versus really looking at and also looking at the types of behaviors that are rewarded and recognized too, that they are not those that fit into a sort of traditional male archetype. So let's say you're a company and you have not done any of this. Mm -hmm. You're listening to this podcast and you're saying to yourself, you know, I'm not doing any of this at my company. What would you suggest for somebody to think about like how they might, how they might start? So I think first step that I've learned that, um, and also trying to break down how, where, where do you begin in this big world, which is just the, the learning journey, right? Increasing awareness. So I think the first step of a company of any size is first looking at your numbers, looking at on paper, okay, how many women do we have at this organization? How many men? At what levels does that start to change? Do we have an equal number of men and women at first level management? It starts to, um, you know, fishtail after that with less women and more men in, in roles. So if you just have new numbers, I think that starts to give you a perspective of, of, you know, generally the dynamics and demographics and then thinking about where you're hiring. So thinking about hiring and retaining are the first steps. So hiring, it's where are your efforts right now to, you know, recruit where are you recruiting more people off campus or you're recruiting them and experienced hires and where are you finding them and where can you diversify those efforts to just try to find more women. Um, so the, the first thing kind of has to do with numbers and, and the lay of the land. The second part of it is this, this learning journey that can happen in two ways. One is talk to your people. I think everybody's so scared to tee up this conversation. You think that it wasn't on their mind before. And, um, but right. So like, I don't want to raise this in case you're not thinking about it, but of course you must be living in a cave because it's yeah. on the news every day. And they're talking about it every day. Who's not thinking about it? Yeah. And I think that um, that's something that I think the millennial generation has inspired these can we talk sessions, whether it's about, um, you know, the, some of the things that the critical issues and sensitive issues that are happening in the world around them. They think that we should be talking about that in the workplace. So when it comes to gender, it's literally just setting up, you know, a couple internal very informal type focus groups and saying, okay, you know, when you, what do you think are reasons why you work here? Is there a reason? You know, so I think it's just having a conversation, right? And then the, the other part of the learning journey is investing in some resources that teach you about topics that are underlying gender bias. So, you know, we've led workshops and trainings on things like imposter syndrome and understanding stifled authenticity, which is really about why are these factors in terms of how a traditional workplace operates 
why do they make women feel like they have to change themselves to advance? You know, why do, you know, they make you feel like you can't be the same person when you walk in the door as when you walk out the door to head home. Um, and men will relate to it too. That is the, like, I think incredible part of this journey and having men as allies is that men have imposter syndrome too. And, but the reality is the data talks through why it has greater implications for women. And I think that's where men have that awakening. They're like, okay, I now have a little bit, I can have the empathy and understand what you're going through, but the implications aren't as bad for me. And hence why the representation is the way it is. So that's my advice is kind of look at, at who you are, what you are, what the statuses of, uh, of your workforce right now, and then embark on this learning journey. So Joan, if people wanted to reach out and ask you more questions or find out information about the services and education you provide to corporations, how might they find you? So our website is whymillennialsmatter.com and also the cool co, which is T-H-E-K-U-H-L-C-O.com. My last name is cool. People always try to pronounce it different ways, but it's cool. Perfect. And I think that's the best way as well as my email, Joan at thecoolco.com. Joan, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today about Why Millennial Matters and your new book coming up, Dig Your Heels, which ultimately will it be available for pre-order on things like Amazon? And do you have a timeline? Yeah, it's teed up right now. It releases on April 2nd, but you can go to Amazon and search Dig Your Heels in Joan Cool and you will find it. See, Money Matters listeners, when you're searching for my book, The Hardworking Woman's Guide to Money, you can find Joan's book at the same time and pre-order to make sure that you have something good to take you into next year. Excellent. Love it. <laughs> So everything will be in the show notes, obviously, as always. I also want to ask my listeners, if you haven't had a chance to go back and rate my show, it would be an honor if you would take a minute and do that for me. One of the things that's kind of difficult is the iTunes algorithm, which you really have to learn how it is that they other people even find you. And so one of the ways they find you is other people go and like the show. So if you're liking the content that you're getting from KT's Money Matters and you want to hear more of it or you want to share some information with me that might help me run a better show... I am always grateful to take the time to take a look at that. So if you take a minute and rate our show, we would be grateful. And until we speak to you again, thanks. Thanks for listening to KT's Money Matters with KT Thomas. For more information, past episodes, and show notes, go to www.ktsmoneymatterspodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe and recommend it at iTunes, Overcast, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.